0: My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you're new here, I'm one of the pastors. Esteban, who was just doing announcements, is also one of the pastors. And uh, and Josh, who just gave the plea or the call to uh, come to the men's retreat so our senior pastor. We're going to be in Genesis 8. We've been going through Genesis uh, 1 through 11. We find ourselves in Genesis 8, so please turn there. And... Uh, I hope that you will find this text encouraging. You know, it's easy for us when we, when we read passages like this uh, at home, when we're all alone or you're with your family, to just see these texts as sort of a lesson. These text is just like a history lesson. You think of uh, Genesis 5 that we just went through a few weeks ago, and you hear the descendants of Noah, and you think, like, what am I supposed to get out of this? This person lived to be this year old, and they followed this guy, and then they died. Or we read in Genesis 8 about how the flood subsides, and it seems like it's just telling us a story of, of what happened. And what can I really glean from this passage of Scripture? You know, One of my hopes is that uh, you're starting to learn, you're continuing to learn, a ways to think about your Bible that maybe you haven't thought of. You know, so Josh's sermon on Genesis 5 is a great example. Thinking about, thinking about death and the implications of that. And I hope you'll continue to learn those lessons of how we read our Bible and think about our Bible in Genesis 8. You know, people often say as they read their Bible... But they go through seasons, you know, and I'd say they, I go through the seasons where I, I'm just not getting much out of it. And that's a common thing. And it can be common for many different reasons. Uh, one of the reasons that it can be common is you get to places like Genesis 8 or Genesis 5, and you don't see any commands like Ephesians 4 or something like that. And, uh, you know, Ephesians 4, it says, you know, put off falsehood and speak truth with your neighbor. Okay, well, that's pretty easy. You can start thinking about the ways that you're lying, the ways that you tell white lies, the ways that you're not being honest here or there. Uh, But then when you read other parts of Scripture, you can be tempted to think, well, that's a nice story, but I don't know what that has to do with me or how I'm supposed to use that or think about that. I'm glad to know that piece of history. Uh, But there are things that we can learn about God and can apply to our lives in Genesis 8, and I hope you'll Learn those things today, but I I hope you also pay attention of of how you can read your Bible and think about these things. And it doesn't take a seminary degree to be able to do that. It just takes a little bit of thought of just thinking about what's going on in the story. And I hope that it will be encouraging for you as you spend more time in God's Word. But why don't we pray before we read Genesis 8. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we love your Word. We cherish it. But oftentimes we don't open it. And we know that it is a treasure, but oftentimes we don't treasure it in our hearts. And so would you forgive us for that? And would you help us treasure it this morning? I pray that you would give us faith for these words. That you would encourage us in our weaknesses. And you would remind us of your faithfulness to us. And we ask this, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Genesis 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts, and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed, and the rain from the heavens was restrained. The waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, The ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat, and the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. And in the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of forty days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made, and he sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot. And she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her in the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. And so Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. And then he waited another seven days and sent forth a dove she did not return to him anymore in the six hundred and first year in the first month the first day of the month the waters were dried from the from off the earth and noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold the face of the ground was dry in the second month on the 27th day of the month the earth had dried out then god said to noah go out from the ark you and your wife and your sons and your son's wives with you Bring out, every, bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth that they may swarm the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. And so Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. And we'll save the rest for next week because Lord willing, I'm um, God's covenant um, kind of bleeds into the next chapter. And we have enough that we can chew on for today. God remembered Noah, it says in the first verse. God remembered Noah and he took care of him on the ark. Right? The ark could have been shattered. But God preserved Noah and his family and all the animals. Now God remembering us... Or God remembering Noah is not implying that somehow God forgot about Noah. This is just the normal way that Scripture talks about God. He remembers us. Now, it more relates to our senses than to God. God never forgets us. But it can sometimes feel that way, can it not? To us, it can seem like God has forgotten about us or that he's fallen asleep or that he's abandoned us here in the midst of our circumstances. And we can be tempted to think that God does not desire to help us because by our experience, it seems like he's forgotten about us like a child forgets about a toy that he's dropped behind the couch cushion that's been there for a few months. And so some of you have been languishing in sickness or in trial. Maybe it's your child who's been sick. Maybe it's a parent, a grandparent, an aunt. Maybe you've just had a long, enduring trial that's gone on for months, a conflict with a loved one that can't seem to be resolved. And you can be tempted to think that God has forgotten about you. First of all, that is a normal experience of the Christian's life. It is normal for a Christian to feel like God has forgotten about them. Now, I know some of you want to be told that Christians are stronger than that, and they always have perfect faith, and they trust God in all their circumstances. But that's not the experience of most of the stories, many of the stories in the Bible. And it's not true for most Christians. That's why you find the scriptures are filled with questions like, Lord, why are you sleeping? How long will you remain hidden? How long will you turn your back to us? How long will you not consider our weakness? So I just want to start by encouraging you. That if you feel like God has forgotten about you, have turned your back on you? That doesn't mean that you're just some terrible Christian who just needs to suck it up and have better faith. What you're experiencing is normal for Christians, even really fruitful ones, throughout the Bible and throughout Christian history. So just take a breath. Stop beating yourself over your lack of faith. The psalmist wondered the very same things and wrote parts of the Bible. Okay. You can wonder if God has forgotten about you and still be used by God to write part of the Bible. That alone should encourage you, that God is not sitting up in the heavens angry at your lack of faith in the midst of your trials. But even in the midst of those questions, wondering if God has forgotten about you, or if he is still there, even in the midst of those questions, still lies some faith, weak though it may be, When the people in Scripture speak to God like that, asking if he's forgotten about them or how long he will delay, they are speaking from their human experience, right? As I've said, God did not forget about them. He doesn't forget about you, but it sure seems like it. It seems like God's forgotten about me because I've been dealing with this for weeks, for months, for years, and God has not rescued me or answered me. For the many of you that have been in a situation like that or currently are easy to be thinking. Has God forgotten about me? And you can see how Noah would be thinking or feeling similar things. He believed God was going to judge the world. God did. It rained for 40 days, but then what? Hadn't God already made his point? One month goes by. Two months. Three. What is left for God to do? Why am I just shut up in this ark still? Am I just going to stay here in the ark and die? How is that any better than what the others experienced? At least they didn't suffer long. Why am I still here? This would be what we would be asking if we were in the ark in Noah's position. Four months, five months. But I want you to think about this for a moment, church. If you, a frail creature, a weak human, you who have limited understanding, still remember God, will God not still remember you? Or do you have a better memory than God? You may forget about God for an hour, or a day, or a week, or a month, but then you come back to him and you remember him, and and you ask him how long he'll be absent. If your weak mind can remember God even faintly at times, Do you think your mind is better than God's? Do you think your memory is better than your Heavenly Father's? If you, a weak creature, can remember God even just faintly, then surely God remembers you and hasn't forgotten about you. Surely you don't surpass Him in any way, including in His memory. And I find that so encouraging. Your memory is not better than God's. And so there are promises of God... the church god promises to be your father god promises so that your salvation is in his hand and under your protection and he promises to hear your prayers and your petitions and to go before you he promises life in him he promises to be near you those are sweet promises of god and there's many many more but god sends us different things that seem to negate those promises You might know these promises. You've been in church for a long time, possibly. You know those things are true. But it sure feels like God has abandoned them. At least as far as our experience goes. But when Christians reject the things that are designed to negate God's promises, and they lean on God's truth, it is then that you find that whatever happens, God is faithful, and you will not be disappointed in Him. You know, we face trials of various kinds in this life. All of God's people do. And how can you tell if you profited from these trials? How can you know? You may come, hear faithful preaching week after week. You may believe that God speaks to you through His Word and adhere to what it proclaims. You may believe those things, but those things... Not enough. The main thing is that you remain steadfast. James 1 tells us that these trials, there are these trials that test your faith, and they do test our faith. I love that. I love that James just assumes and doesn't, it's not shocking to anybody. You shouldn't be surprised that these trials test your faith. James says they will. These trials test your faith. It's assumed in James 1 3 that the trials will test your faith. So again, You're not a terrible Christian if you feel like your faith is being tempted or tested. It's not the case. In fact, a Christian should expect that the trials that come up in your life will test your faith. That should just be the expectation of Christians. So don't be shocked when it happens. Don't be surprised. It says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It may not seem like that in the moment. You may be crying out to the psalmist, wondering if God has forgotten about you. But every one of us who has come out on the other end of a trial has always looked back and said, God was faithful. And he will continue to be faithful in your current trial. Your memory will not surpass God's. Jesus promised, all the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And you will not be the first one that God forgets about in the midst of your trial. God remembered Noah, and he will remember you. So do not hear these words from James about the testing of our faith, producing steadfastness. Don't hear those words and think, yes, I know that's what the scriptures say. I believe that that's true, but then fail to persevere. Moses is giving us this information about the timing of things, not solely so we have a historical record. When you read those things in your Bible, you should think about what it would have been like. It rains for 40 days. The earth floods. And then you start thinking, I wonder how long this is going to take till we get out of here. And one month goes by, and two months goes by, and three and four. It takes five months before Noah even starts to realize the waters are going down. So God's goal in your trial is often the very thing that we despise. It's to give you steadfastness, endurance, perseverance. This is quite the opposite of what we want in trials, is it not? We want our trials to be over in a moment. We want to be able to snap our fingers and the trials are gone. But why does God want to produce steadfastness with us, in us? James goes on, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Paul says something similar in Romans 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. This is God's design for godliness, When life is easy, it's easy to forget about God. This was true for Israel. This is true for you. But when you have trials, you reach the end of yourself, and then you come to God for help. If you've known me for a decent while, you've known that you've probably heard me talk about our house and its septic issues. Long story short, we haven't had issues for a long time. But then, last week, all of a sudden, we start having this terrible smell in our house. And we can't figure out where it's coming from or how to fix it. And I know this is a small issue compared to what many in this room are dealing with, but hopefully you can understand uh, the point. You can still understand that uh, as a husband having having to go to sleep with our house smelling terrible, and your kids having headaches, and your wife having headaches... Because you can't figure out the issue, it's like pretty stressful for a husband. You could understand that. It's overwhelming. It's constantly berating you and reminding you about the issue. You're not getting a break from it. And we spent hours trying to figure out the solution. We had people come out. They couldn't figure it out. And normally that would be enough to burden me. Uh, but on top of that, we had rented out our, ho- our house this weekend. Uh, so we have like people coming to stay in our house like in a week that have been planning for this for four months, and I'm thinking I'm going to have to cancel on them as they've been thinking and planning for four months, so I feel terrible about that. And so you can imagine the pressure of having a pregnant wife who's already struggling and feeling sick, and then she's feeling more sick on top of it because we can't figure out this. You have kids that are, I'm sure it's not healthy to be breathing this stuff in. We have people coming in a week, And I think it took about a better part of a week for us to figure out the issue. We did figure out the issue, thankfully. But that was less than a week of a small trial. And it felt like a massive burden on our family. It really wasn't that big of an issue. But it felt massive and a giant burden to our family. But did our family pray more during that week than we had in the previous week? Yes. Did our kids get to see God answer his people's prayers and grow their faith? Yes. Some of you have dealt with stuff for years or months. and They're far more serious than a house smelling. But even so, let me encourage you with a reminder that God's goal for you in this trial is to produce steadfastness to produce character and gives a real hope. Do not let your trials be wasted. What do I mean by that? Some of the ways that God will grow the faith of your children is by seeing you lead them through your trials. Remind yourself, remind your kids regularly that the goal of this testing is to produce steadfastness even when you feel like you're completely done and you have nothing left to offer your family. Go before your friends, your wife, your kids and be honest with them. Tell them, daddy is really struggling to remember that God will not forget us. Honestly, I'm tempted to feel like God has forgotten about us. But look at what Noah went through. He was stuck in an ark for 40 days. 40 nights while it rained. And it took not one month, not two, not three, not four, but five months before he even realized that God was having the waters go down. He was probably tempted, just like Daddy was tempted, to think that God forgot about him. And he probably thought he was just going to die on this big boat. But look what the Bible says. It says, God remembered Noah. God remembered Noah, and he will remember us So can you pray for Daddy, that he would have faith that God will remember us? And let your kids pray for you. Let your pastors pray for you. Let your elders pray for you. Let a friend pray for you. If you don't have kids, you can say something similar to your friends. Somebody in your small group. Some of the sweetest times in our family have been when our kids have prayed for Nancy and I. And God uses those prayers from friends and kids and your family to give us endurance in the midst of our trials. Your trials are hard, but God is faithful to work his purpose, and his purpose is to make you steadfast through them, and he will surely do it. But there are a few more things that can be said about these trials. We must remember God's kindness in the midst of our trials. Think of Noah and the Ark. The Ark was surely an incredible feat of human engineering, something that large, able to float and carry all that was in it, without breaking upon the mountains or the trees or the boulders. It didn't spring a leak throughout the days that it was floating, and everyone on board was safe. But this is not because Moses, excuse me, Noah was just some incredible engineer. This is solely because of God's goodness to Noah and the animals. There is no reason that Noah's trial couldn't have been worse. God commanded how the waters would fall, and there is no doubt that he kept the ark afloat all those months. And this is true in our trials too. Our trials could be far worse than they are. But God has set limits. And we see the waters receding in the story. It is a sign and testimony that God commands the things that he has created, and they must be obeyed. We must keep in mind that God entreats us to thank him day in and day out, hour in and hour out, that we are alive against nature. Yes, God made room for Noah and the animals. But there isn't any reason that at any moment the waters could return except for the fact that God's hand is holding them back and he has promised not to flood the earth again. So it would be crazy if we do not thank him and that he has sustained us and that he preserves us in the way that he does. Now the pagan will scoff at this, but it's true. It is good for us to realize that we are alive because of the pure generosity of God and you cannot be assured of a single moment in your life that God is not pleased to grant. When you hear storms like a hurricane that just came through through Florida, you should think, if God has not been merciful to me, if God had not been merciful to me and was not keeping the sea back by his power, oh, well, I could have been destroyed there. It should remind you that God is keeping many things at bay to sustain you and your life. Not just your physical life, but certainly that. You get in a car and you make it safely to your destination. Not because you're a great driver, but because of God's kindness. Your house stands through a storm, not because it's well made, but because God keeps it upright. Your body keeps working in just the precise ways to keep you alive, not because evolution just made you work a certain way over many many years but because God is giving you breath and sustaining your body but it's not just that way for a physical body that God's keeping us alive your trials are not harder than they are because God has held back some of it could your trials be a hundred times harder than they are very easily If you spent like 30 seconds thinking about how your life could be harder, would it not be incredibly easy to think of a thousand ways that it could be a hundred times harder? Why has this not occurred? Because God has been extremely kind with you. And when you read this story of how God opened up the heavens and sent rain to destroy everything, you should be quick to remember That God has that same power still. And now you'll say, well, He promised He's not going to do that. And it's true. But you should be able to distinguish between what could happen and what He declared. It only won't happen because of His goodness and kindness and His promise not to do it. But He has the power to do it. The point is that you should be humbled and depend on Him so you wouldn't harden your heart but would call upon him every minute and place your life in his hand as your sole protector. Don't let the fact that God God promised not to flood the earth again cause you not to fear him when you read this passage. One of the points of the story in Scripture is to be reminded that we should fear God every time it rains. You should remember the story of the flood. It should awaken your heart to God's judgment that he once set as an example to us. It should remind you that God has kept you, not because you were far better than those in Noah's time, but because of God's goodness. And quickly, one final thought. We must give further thought to Noah himself. Why did God choose Noah? You're tempted to think, well, the Bible says that Noah was righteous in Genesis 6, so that's why God chose him. As if Noah was perfect, and so he kind of forced God's hand to pick him. But we know that Noah was not perfectly righteous by what happens in chapter 9. God chose Noah out of his kindness. God didn't have his hand forced by Noah, and he wasn't required to save him. He chose to save him and his family. He chose to, and the same can be said of you. When you think about your life, is that not clear? Did you act so righteously throughout your life that God God was somehow forced to give you a spirit and save you? Whenever you tell somebody your testimony of how you became a Christian, are you telling them something like, well, I just knew God was good from a young age, and I've always lived, and I've always honored him with my life, and so it made sense that someone as great as him would want to team up with someone as great as me. Oh. Your testimony, along with everyone else's, is I lived my life for myself. I sinned against a holy God. I became convicted of my sin by the Holy Spirit, and God saved me and gave me the gift of faith. He helped me confess my sin and repent of my sin, and I have no idea why he would choose someone like me. Noah's story should remind you of your salvation and the kindness of God to choose you from before the foundations of the world. You didn't do anything to deserve your salvation. All you did was provide the sin that was deserving of God's judgment and wrath. But God put you in the family that he put you in. He gave you the parents that he gave you. He directed your steps in such a way that you would end up at that church or that summer camp Or hear that story from your mom or your neighbor. All you did was sin and make a mess of your life. And yet God chose to place you on the ark of salvation. Even though you weren't deserving of it. And you heard the gospel. And God was kind to you. To open your eyes and see your transgression against a holy God. And you were given the gift of faith. Not by some great work that you did. But by the gift of God and he led you to repentance. This has been the story of every Christian and we were reminded of God's kindness to save his people in the story of Noah, not because Noah made God choose him, or God was forced to choose him, but because of God's sweet kindness to Noah. If I can just make one final point. Noah is a wonderful example to us of patience and obedience in the midst of trials. You know, Noah originally sends out a raven. And when we go through a trial, we are quick to lose all hope. But Noah had some level of hope because he sent this raven out. And the raven went to and fro. And you can imagine how disappointed Noah would be that there was not more help given by the raven. But we can say this about Noah. Even though he would have been disappointed by the raven, he doesn't give up. And he chooses a dove. He does this to show us that even though we choose means of how to fix our issues or fix our problems, many times those means are not effective and they fail. You try to fix your problems, you think you have a solution, you go for it, it doesn't work. Doctor isn't helpful. you thought was going to fix it, didn't fix it. But Noah doesn't give up. He chooses a dove. God tells us of the raven to remind us that not always will the things that we do to try to fix our issues give us hope in the midst of the trials. Not always will they work out the way that we want them to work out. Noah's first idea provided no help and failed. But it's there to remind us that even though when we think we have a good idea in the midst of our trials, God can often let those things go awry. But Noah is given to us an example and a reminder to keep going even if God does not allow those things to come to fruition. And why does this happen? Because we must be humbled for our own good. God is testing to see whether we will be patient. So when something doesn't go as you had hoped or planned or you didn't get the help that you were hoping you were going to get in the midst of your trials, remember Noah. He didn't give up after the raven. He kept going, and he looked for another way. And so you must continue in faith to move forward. Okay, God, this way wasn't the answer. I thought it was going to be, I had hoped that it was going to be, it seemed promising, but it's not. But I will trust you and your timing and I will continue to look for something else. Will you please help me and give me the endurance to continue? And has God not always had pity on you and his people throughout history? Have you ever heard of a Christian to say, I was wrong to wait on and trust in the Lord? It has never happened, and it will not happen for you. This is how a Christian must think when God often delays giving us what we want. Even when you endure hardships on every side, and all your self-confidence is completely gone, God will, in the end, show that he has never abandoned you. He didn't abandon Noah, and he won't abandon you. Let's stand for prayer. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we have many trials in this very room, and many that feel weak, many that feel like they're on the edge of giving up. God, would you help us remember Noah? Would you help us remember your faithfulness to Noah? How you didn't abandon Noah? And would you help us remember that you will not abandon us? Remind us of trials in the past where we felt like you were going to abandon us, and yet you hadn't. And give us faith for the trials that we're currently in. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.